0: Luke 23 verse 50 Now there was a man named Joseph a member of the council a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action he came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God going to Pilate he asked for Jesus' body Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Good morning. Jesus has risen. Risen indeed. We're getting
1: good at this. My name is James Lewis. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister here at Norwestern. It's my great pleasure to be speaking on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, it changes everything. Will you pray with me? Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this day. We thank you that Jesus died and that he rose, conquering sin and death, and that this changes everything. We ask this morning that you would enable us to focus, to concentrate, to hear what Jesus has to say to us, that we would see the joy and the delight and the forgiveness and the life that he brings, that it really would change everything for each of us. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We celebrate on Easter Sunday. It changes everything. Uh, for many of us, uh, Easter is the centre of our lives. Uh, the fact that Jesus died and rose again has changed our lives. Uh, but for some of you here, you're not Christians and uh, we want to say welcome. Uh, we love having people inquiring and searching and visiting uh, each Sunday. Uh, and you may want to say, look, I'm not sure what all the fuss is about. Like, yes, it's good to visit church at Easter and touch base with God, but to say it changes everything, that seems a little over the top. Uh, You may call yourself an atheist or an agnostic or a a sceptic. You may say, look, I'm into facts and science, not blind faith. But here's the thing. We're not talking about blind faith today. No, we're talking about evidence and history And the history is that first Easter, when Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the other Mary went to the tomb, they found it open and empty. That changes everything. Because, you know, we don't actually know where Jesus' tomb was. Like, if you go to the Middle East, there'll be places which tell you uh, this is Jesus' tomb for money. Uh, It's got a lot more to do with tourist dollars than it does with truth. There's a lot of money to be made in saying this is Jesus' tomb. We actually don't know where Jesus' tomb really was. But you know, it actually doesn't matter. It's, it's irrelevant. The only reason you need to go to a tomb or a grave is if there's actually someone there. But Jesus' tomb is empty. He has risen. And so it's irrelevant. But that's not the main reason we celebrate today. We're not just celebrating because a man rose. No, we celebrate because Jesus rose from the dead after he had died on the cross for our sins. So he offers us new life and forgiveness. See how Jesus puts it in Luke 24. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, Luke 24, that would be helpful. It's page 858, if you've lost your place, 858. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Jesus opens the minds of his disciples so that they can see that all of life, all of history, the whole Bible points to him, finds its centre in him, its purpose, its focus in him. And this good news is not just to be spoken about and celebrated in a church building a couple of times a year, but it's to go to all people, all nations, everywhere. So Christianity must not be and has never been a closed religion just for a spiritual elite, uh, for one ethnic group. A Christianity must be and has always been open and welcoming and for all people, all nations everywhere. This is the biggest story that we're called into, that we're made for, that we belong to, that we long for. And deep down, we know this to be true. It's why we keep on going to the movies and seeing those romantic comedies and those big epic sagas and the, the big action movies when, I don't know if you've noticed, basically it's the same story all the time. Uh, if you go to romantic comedies, it's basically the same story. There's a guy and a girl and they kind of fall in love but then something happens and, and they're not going to be together and it's sad but then there's that final scene at an airport or in someone's lounge room At a party, at a wedding, and the speech is delivered where the guy maybe says, I'm just a guy standing in front of a girl (laughs) asking her if she'll be with me. Something like that. Or the other one we remember, of course, is uh, you had me at hello. Um, It's basically the same story, right? And I know maybe some of you husbands are nail burying your wives and saying, I told you we're wasting our money going to these romantic comedies all the time. But before you get too triumphal, um, it's the same with the action movies and the epic sagas like Lord of the Rings. Uh, good versus evil, uh, and, uh, and it looks like evil's going to win, and then there's this sort of great battle, a heroic act, and, and then good finally triumphs in the end. It, it's basically the same story, and yet we keep on going to see them. We fork out our money, we read the books. J.R. Tolkien, who wrote some of the greatest sagas, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, uh, said the reason that we do it is that we know it is a picture of the bigger story that we belong to. The, the reason that we go to these sagas, we pursue these sagas, these stories, is that we know it's a bigger, it's a picture of the bigger story that we're in. Now he took it to a whole nother level of nerddom. Um, he wrote his own languages to go with it and a whole world. But, but he was basically right. The reason that we're drawn to the bigger story is that we know it's a picture of the story that we're in. We belong in a bigger story. And at Easter, God tells us that the biggest story is what Jesus announced in Luke 24. To to celebrate, to share, to enjoy Jesus and for all people, all nations everywhere to enjoy him. Following Jesus is the greatest adventure in the whole universe. It changes everything. Now, you might be sitting there um, sceptical and have your doubts and saying, okay, well, it only changes everything if it's actually true. And I'm not sure it's true. And so what I want us to do briefly is to engage with four of the possible doubts about Easter Sunday, Um, not to have a go at anyone, but to to wrestle with it and ponder it together uh, and to try and resolve them. Uh, The first of them is called the urban myth. Um, And so basically, uh, you know, an urban myth where, you're out somewhere and someone says, my friend's uncle's grandmother's workmate saw something somewhere. and It's a great story, but no one can ever pin down where it happened and we're not sure it's true. So some people say the Easter story is a great story, but it's an urban myth. It's not really true. But everything that we know about Easter comes from eyewitnesses who were there and saw it and their names are recorded in the Gospels. So it's simply not true to say it's an urban myth. No, no, the the best, the only, the most scientific, the most rational, the most reasonable explanation of all the evidence and the facts is that Jesus rose from the dead. So the urban myth idea doesn't work. So then some people say, oh, well, he didn't really die, so he didn't really rise. Uh, This is sometimes called the swoon theory. and, And it's the idea that On the cross, Jesus looked like he died, but he sort of just drifted into a coma. They thought he died. They put him in the tomb and then he recovered and got up and walked around. Everyone thought he'd risen from the dead. With the greatest respect to that view, it makes no sense at all. The idea that after Jesus had been flogged within an inch of his life, then nailed to a cross by his hands and feet. Then a Roman soldier shoved a spear in his side to make sure he was dead. And and Roman soldiers were very good at executions. It's what they did for a job. Um, And then after they took his body down, they wrapped it in heavy burial cloth and placed it in a cold tomb with no medical care. The idea that after that, after three days, he he just felt a little refreshed and and got up and walked 10 kilometres to appear to his disciples it just doesn't make any sense. So that idea doesn't work either. Uh, So some people say, well, maybe the resurrection was uh, stolen from ancient pagan myths, that the Christians heard about these ideas of resurrection and they sort of stole the idea and adapted it for themselves and said this is what happened. Uh, There's a biblical scholar, uh, N.T. Wright, in the UK who's researched and written about this extensively uh, and dug all into the ancient documents. And he says this, the immediate conclusion is clear. Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was believed to be false. Many people many believe the dead were non existent. Outside Judaism, nobody believed in resurrection. You see what he's saying? That the Jews believed in a general resurrection as they read their Old Testament. Uh, that everyone would rise, but no one believed in a single man being resurrected in the midst of history. So, when the Christians came and said, Jesus risen from the dead, it wasn't some idea that was around and people just adapted. It was unique. No one had ever heard it before. And to be honest, if you're making up a religion, you don't put a resurrection in. It's just crazy. You only put it in if it actually happened, if it's true. So, that one, uh, that doubt doesn't work either. Uh, Finally, perhaps one that people suggest is that the Gospels all contradict themselves. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all disagree and so who can you trust? But if you actually do the hard, careful, detailed work, you discover that the Gospels are complex, subtle, but not contradictory accounts of Jesus. They actually work together. And so our doubts are dissolved, aren't they? They don't stack up. The the best, the only, the most scientific, the most reasonable, the most rational explanation of the evidence of the facts is that Jesus rose from the dead. But perhaps you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I've still got my doubts. I'm still sceptical. Like I can feel the weight of the evidence. It seems very clear, but I'm still sceptical. Again, welcome. Uh, You are in brilliant company. Because this is exactly how the disciples felt that first Easter. And so what we're going to do with the rest of our time this morning is we're going to go for a little walk with those disciples that first Easter. We're going to walk in their shoes, see what they saw, experience what they experienced, know what they knew. So if you look in Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took spices they prepared and went to the tomb. What are they doing? They're grieving. They know, they think Jesus is dead. They've seen his body die on the cross. They've seen it taken down and laid in the tomb and it's sealed up and they go home for the Sabbath. And you can imagine them grieving. We couldn't protect him while he was alive, but at least we can take care of his body. And so they prepare. And then the next day, the first chance they get, first day of the week, very ill in the morning, they're right out the door to the tomb to go and care for Jesus. But when they get there, they find the tombs open, and not only open, but empty. And so what do they say? Oh, of course, we knew this would happen. We we knew this. No, if you have a look, verse 4, they were wondering about this. They don't know what to make of it. It takes two angelic messengers who appear to them to tell them that Jesus has risen. So they run back to the other disciples, the 11 disciples, and they tell them what they've seen. And then the disciples, of course, say, oh, yes, we knew this would happen. Of course, we've been expecting this. No, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They can't believe what the women are saying. There's no basis. We we can't. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. verse 12 Peter however ran got up and ran to the tomb bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened he's trying to work out what has happened now in the first century Israel uh, women were not allowed to testify in court their evidence was not considered to be acceptable so The very fact that you've got women here as the first eyewitness is a wonderful thing. It reminds us that that Jesus had taught his disciples to welcome and include women as equals, created equal by God. But you wouldn't put it in unless it was true. To have your first eyewitnesses as women in the ancient world was not a great start. You wouldn't put it in unless it was true. And Luke is completely unashamed of it here. He names them, he says, you can ask them, here are the women, they are the first eyewitnesses. And yet, they still don't believe. We fast forward uh, in Luke 24 to the road to Emmaus. Two disciples walking along on a journey. Jesus appears to them, but they are kept from recognising him. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. See, they're still grieving. The report of the women, the empty tomb hasn't convinced them. They still think that Jesus is dead. But then, verse 25, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I love this scene because it's just so normal. Jesus doesn't come in this sort of blaze of glory and appear to them. Ta-da! He doesn't wave his hand and give them a vision. No, he says, read your Bibles. It's, it's all there. The evidence is there. And so very often in our day, people say, they wait for some sort of dramatic, brilliant conversion experience. And if Jesus appeared to me when I was walking along the street, or if he tapped me on the shoulder or gave me a vision, then I'd believe. That's what would convince me. But very often Jesus reveals himself in the normal things. Like on a normal Easter Sunday, in a normal church building full of normal people reading normal Bibles, Jesus is revealing himself to us. So are you ready? Are you open? Because unbelief will dissolve in the face of reality. We then fast forward again, to the disciples in Jerusalem. They're hearing from the two on the road to Emmaus. They're trying to work out what's happened. And Jesus appears amongst them. Verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. It takes touching Jesus and the scars in his hands and feet to see him eat a meal with them for them to believe. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was told it was rude to stare at people while they're eating. I reckon it would have been impossible not to stare at Jesus as he ate this meal. He really is alive. You imagine them pinching themselves and just watching. He he really is alive. He really is alive. Skepticism dissolves in the face of reality. So what about you? The most rational, reasonable, logical, scientific explanation of the facts is that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is good news. This is wonderful news. Jesus tells us that in verse 36 when he appears to the disciples. He says, Peace be with you. It's important to know that Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem and strut around in front of the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers and say, You can't keep me down. Kind of Muhammad Ali style. You know, I dance like a butterfly and I sting like a bear. You can't keep me down. I, you know, he didn't come back in vengeance and triumphalism. But he appears to. His disciples. And he doesn't come with a rebuke. He doesn't say, well, how could you let me down? How could you abandon me in my hour of need? No, he says, peace be with you. Now, that's not a casual greeting. That's not, how are you doing? What have you been up to for the last three days? It's not hippie Jesus saying, peace, brothers. No, it's peace with God. It's rest for the weary. Are you weary with life? Is your soul weary? There is rest for the weary. There is forgiveness for the guilty. Do you know your guilt before God? There is forgiveness. There is joy in relationships. Do you long for joy in relationships? Jesus offers joy in relationships. There is eternity without tears. Do you hate death and that it robs us of friends and family? jesus offers eternity without tears and there is salvation for the lost do you know that you're lost without jesus he offers you salvation this is the biggest story that we're invited into and it changes everything deep down we all know this this is why some of you will keep circling around christianity visiting every now and then circling circling I want to suggest that today is the day to land the plane, to put your trust in Jesus. He offers you peace with God. And that will change everything. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that on this day we remember the historical fact That Jesus rose from the dead. We thank you for all the eyewitnesses and the evidence that you have swamped us with over the last 2,000 years. We thank you that it is so reasonable and logical and rational to know that Jesus rose from the dead and yet many will struggle with doubts and scepticism and so we ask that you would draw them into the experience of the first disciples that first Easter as their scepticism was dissolved in the face of reality And they heard those wonderful words of Jesus, peace be with you, and that bigger story of serving him. We thank you for this, and we ask that it really, truly would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.